So we've been down all weekend. We were with you for the Enough uh, prayer meeting. I have to say, you guys know how to pray. That was great. Really enjoyed it. And those of you that were there, obviously those of you, not everyone can make enough. We know, we know that. That's uh, the hubs that are happening, happening all over the place. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult call, isn't it? A Friday night to give yourself uh, to a half night of prayer. But uh, I know those of you who could be there were, and it was great. And we did the live link from uh, the Enough hub to all the other hubs and uh, there was a couple of stories that came back from this last Friday's Enough which I thought were quite powerful really, just sort of spontaneous acts of generosity that took place, nothing to do with prayer but they just happened. So Edward Burrier uh, and all the guys out in Kenya because we have quite a lot of hubs out there and uh, there was um, some leaders and a whole group of people, I don't know the exact details but this is as best as I know it all came in from a very rural area of Kenya to join the Enough evening. And uh, apparently they've been sort of wait, trying to save up a lot of money to get this sort of water tank thing that enabled the village to have sort of fresh water stored without them having to constantly keep going and uh, you know, getting it every day. And uh, as they came to the Enough evening, apparently some others who knew they were coming had arranged, took up an offering, they presented them with this water tank on the night. So they'd been, for years, they'd been praying for this thing, and suddenly, um, you know, they get it. So I thought, what a lovely story from that kind of uh, sort of environment. And then there was another story from a more sort of Western environment where there was a, um, a church. Uh, that has got its own building in the UK and their lift had broken and to replace the lift is going to cost about £25,000. Anyway, they were in one of the hubs and someone came up to them that didn't even know who this person was but they'd heard about it and they gave them a cheque for £5,000 there on the spot saying we want you to put that towards repairing your lift in the prayer meeting. I thought, that's great, isn't it? So come to the prayer meeting because you never know... Who might tap you on the shoulder and give you something or when there's going to be an offering and you might leave with less than you had before you came in. So you do take a bit of a risk, but I think it's a calculated risk based on those stories. Uh, Anyway, this morning, uh, and then also it's great for uh, me and Sue to be down together. We've been um, at Enough Hub, then we were sort of doing a few things which uh, yesterday in in London, which uh, I might come on to later. And then we wanted to be with you today so that we can have what we call an RM Sunday. We try to do these uh, in all of the churches or some of the churches come together for these sorts of things. So myself and Steph and Morris, who as a team now lead Relational Mission, we're trying to get around all the different churches in RM. Uh, there's around about 70 churches in the family of churches that you're part of. If you're new to the church here, you, you may not know too much yet about relational mission, but you're part of it. You probably didn't realise that, but you are. Uh, and it's a family of churches. And looking at the New Day uh, video, though, I love the fact that you're starting to make memories as, as a family here, because that's really important. Memories matter. It's part of your culture. It's part of your history, and it helps shape your future. And so it's, we felt it's important that as a, as a family of churches, we try to give the same message and the same sort of themes and um, share the same desires and aspirations uh, across the family of churches. It was great just hearing 
Uh, was it Adrian do the, um, the thing about the food bank? Because Sue's very involved in our food bank in Lowestoft. And uh, it's tremendous. Just a lot of our churches are really seeing a great surge of ability to serve the community. Not just with that, but many other practical ways of, of empowering people who are really struggling. So bless you with that. I think uh, our food bank's fed about 4,000 last year. So it's, it's just a growing, growing thing. So uh, well done to you and all your team. It's tremendous. And uh, I'm sure God will give you lots more ways to serve the community because that kind of acts of kindness really do touch people. You don't have to be someone who hasn't got food. We all need kindness, don't we? And uh, it, it's, not, it's not difficult just to be kind to people. And Jesus was a kind man. I think we often sort of forget the sort of very simple thing, fruit of the Spirit is kindness. It's very underrated, but it's powerful, especially if you're sort of uh, walking around London or trying to get on and off transport or doing all sorts of things. Try being kind. I mean, they just shock people. They think, what are you doing? Uh, don't you want to fight me for that seat? No, you have it. I mean, it's just extraordinary countercultural way of living that uh, you don't have to have a great education or be, go to some sort of two-year training course to be kind. It's, it's just something that the fruit of the Spirit should just grow. Now, we can, we can grow in that fruit as we're filled with the Spirit more and more. But I think things like this, you know, food bank and other things, are so, so powerful in our culture at the moment just to give a, give a message that, yep, we want to just give to you, we want to bless you, no strings attached, because we want to just be kind to you. It demonstrates God's heart. God is kind, isn't he? The only reason you and I are here today is his kindness. I mean, that is, if nothing, if you remember nothing else from anything I'm going to say, just go out here thinking, God is kind to me. That's a beautiful thing to take with you, isn't it? So anyway, we want to, uh, I want to drill into a particular message today uh, in the RM Sunday. I want to talk about acts of courage. There's a little... Uh, motif we put up there. Now, <clears throat> one of the things that we've really felt God speaking to us about, and we're having a go at this, it's a bit of an experiment, but most of life is an experiment, I find, and so we're having a bit of an experiment with this. Some of you will remember that last year we had our leaders conference and our SENT conference of students and 20s. We had that friend's house in Euston. We moved uh, from Norwich, where we had been meeting and we, we brought it into the heart of the city, which in itself was a step of courage for a couple of reasons. One, uh, it wasn't free like Norwich was. It wasn't anywhere near as free as Norwich was. It was like on another level. Uh, I thought, really? That's the wrong... Surely there's too many noughts on the end of that invoice. Let's <laughs> rub those out. Uh, but no, it, was, it took a step for us to do that. And uh, praise God, it was a great time. Anise, who's here today, she organised that. Big round of applause for Anise. And uh, pulled out all the stops, made that happen, and we had a great, a great time. But it was, uh, and we called that uh, conference Courage Conference because we felt God had been saying to us, as a family of churches, it's, uh, as Steph was saying very kindly about myself, it's not about celebrities or people who are sort of leading from the front and everybody stands in awe and thinking, wow, I wish I was like that. that that's, that's not biblical culture. That, that's very unhelpful, actually. This is about every person riding the same wave, because all the boats rise on an incoming tide. 
right? When the tide comes in, all the boats, you don't have to have sort of like a, you don't have to be sort of a, a, tre- a tremendous sort of sea-going ocean liner. You can be in a little rowing boat. All the boats rise on an incoming tide. And if we stimulate the right culture amongst us, a family of church, we all get the uplift from that. There's something for all of us to buy into. So we wanted to try and have a go at stimulating a culture of courage amongst us. So let me give you a verse just to root that in. Uh, And in Acts chapter 4, just one verse, and this is where Peter and John and the disciples have been uh, arrested uh, they've, been, uh, they, they've, he- they've prayed for someone and this guy's been healed and then they're getting some pushback about that and then they, they preach about it and they, they say, salva- verse uh, 12, they say, salvation is found in no one else for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which they must be saved. So they really speak boldly and courageously in, in the middle of this persecution. And it says of those who were watching them, Uh, In verse 13, when they, that's the people around, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised, note this, realised that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised You see, courage, if you see courage at work in someone who you don't expect to be courageous, it makes the observation of the courage even more demonstrable. You with that? So if you look at someone doing something, you think, well, I never expected them to be like that. They don't look like that kind of a person. How did did that come from that person? Realizing they were ordinary, unschooled people, they were astonished. And what was the difference? They took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now, I know that in uh, a place like this, many of you are not unschooled. Many of you are are very, um, you know, competent, top of your field kind of people. Uh, I was at a conference recently in Poland, which was uh, for evangelical leaders across Europe, and there were so many PhDs there, I felt quite intimidated. If they went in, the thing is, you could go into a lift and you're surrounded by like 10 PhDs. Well, I haven't got one. But the thing is, none of them knew which button to press on the lift. So it just made me think it, was, it doesn't make any difference at all. <laughs> so it doesn't help you unless your PhD is in button pressing. It's not about whether you're a PhD or not. It's, not. it's not about... These are ordinary people. We might be schooled or unschooled, but every single one of us here is ordinary. We all have the same issue. You know, I've been, uh, Sue and I have been in Christian work now for, I don't know, over 35 years. I'll tell you this. People are the same basically everywhere. They are. There is no, there, everything that you ever struggle with, everybody else struggles with. Every thought that you ever have or wrestle with, everybody else. It's not unfamiliar. We are ordinary people. And one of the best ways to build church is to just settle that first of all. We are all the same, so let's not try and feel or pretend we have to be anything different. We're just ordinary people who've been with Jesus. That's the, that's the thing that starts to make the difference. So we don't have to try to be anything we're not. We don't have to try and... The message of courage isn't about you thinking, oh, crikey, I've got to try and look a bit more, you know, look a bit more like a Christian. No, you look like a Christian now. Believe me, looking at you, 
You do. Ordinary people. Ordinary people who've been with Jesus. So what I wanted to try and do is just very simply bring some application of what does a culture of courage look like on, on the big picture level for us as a family of churches? What does, what does uh, a courageous culture look like? And then I want to drill it in to what might courage look for for each one of us individually. Because if I just cast the, the vision for the big thing, that might, might be interesting, uh, hopefully, and something you think, yeah, that sounds great. But if it doesn't grip you personally, I think, well, what's my, what's my role in that? It might be just a little bit out there. And likewise, if we just drill into the personal side of being courageous, we might think, well, all right, that's my own little life with Jesus, but what difference does it make to the big thing? So there is actually something about an apostolic vision that should be large and expansive and makes us think, you know, as a family of churches, we're all caught up in this together. This is a big deal we're going for. But it should also be that tomorrow morning when you get up and go to work or do whatever you do, there's something of that same apostolic DNA in you that thinks, I want to be courageous and have apostolic courage for my daily life around me, whether it's in my personal circumstances or in what I'm doing for the Lord. So it should touch everything. So that's what I'm going to try and do. So the first one thing I want to do is just... Uh, look at the vision that we've just been working on as Relational Mission. Now, Steph uh, and Morris and myself, we've been working more strongly as a team uh, the, the, the last year or two. When Relational Mission started about seven or eight years ago, uh, Terry asked me to sort of, you know, basically start my own family of churches as, all, as the other apostles did. So I've been doing that, and I just felt uh, more and more that Steph and Morris... I recognised their, their apostolic gifting as well. So I said to them, look, let's do this as a team now. We want to just keep multiplying. We don't want it to be about one person. Team is always the best way to do church. It's actually the best way to do life. Uh, and so Steph and Morris are carrying the weight of this with me now. So we've been working on a vision. So there's some slides going to come up now. And there's an overriding vision statement. If we can just have that first slide up. There you go. We are a relational mission, a family of churches together We preach Christ and plant and strengthen churches to the ends of the earth. That's what we are about. That's the headline. That's what we're about. All of our energy, all of our activity, all of our thinking is going into that uh, key thing. And then the next next slide. We've got values that that drive everything that we're doing. So... uh, these are just kind of headlines, really. So doctrinal values, we believe in being a, uh, churches that are word-based, but are also spirit-filled or uh, spirit-empowered, and then also grace-filled. What, one of the interesting things I noticed when we were in Poland recently, which was a big evangelical uh, leaders' conference, there were 40 nations from Europe represented at this conference, and it was I described it like being in Supermarket Sweep, if you've ever been in there, watched that uh, programme. Because there was just so many people who kept coming to us, because they knew kind of who we were, they knew the New Frontiers heritage we come from, which has been very strongly on these values of word and spirit. And so many church leaders were saying to us, we love the fact that you guys really do believe in the Bible, preach the Bible, you believe in good doctrine, expository preaching, you're very serious about the word of God, but you're also very serious about being 
uh, inviting of the manifest presence of God in your meetings. You want the Holy Spirit's activity. And we, we, we don't see many models of those two things coming together. So what we often take for granted... The fact that we're having preaching now, that, uh, that you know, hopefully we're trying to be faithful to Scripture. We had sort of uh, contributions and uh, waiting on God's uh, Spirit to move amongst us in the worship. We might take that for granted week by week and think, well, that's just how you do church. Believe me, across Europe, that is very unfamiliar to many people. So we've got a big mission just even in demonstrating the values that we've come to know and love and are trying to grow in. So um, leadership, we believe elders lead the local church. We believe in Ephesians 4 ministries. That's uh, uh, ministries that serve the churches translocally. We believe every church needs um, people to come in and help with different areas to strengthen each local church. No local church has all the answers to all its needs within itself. That's why Ephesians 4 ministries are given that the body may be equipped to do its work. Uh, hopefully that's why Sue and I are here this weekend, just to try and be of some help to you in that way. Servant-hearted, so uh, leadership is not there to be served, it is there to serve. Uh, it doesn't mean that leadership is, is, a, is a doormat thing. I remember one, fa- one sort of father in God uh, who was training me years ago, he said, I will, be the ser- ch- I will be the church's servant, but it will never be my master. Now, if you think about it, there's a very important thing there. So those of you who've got aspirations to leadership, you're not there to be everybody's beck and call, but you are there to serve. There's a difference. Now, I've seen so many leaders burn out because they don't know where the line is and how to manage energy and all the rest of it. So we want to be servant-hearted in leadership. Mission, it's got to be local church focused, which is why you're building a local church here. That's what it's all about. But it's expressed locally globally, and you're doing great in this as Rev here. You've sent so many people, haven't you? And there's church plants bubbling away. You're doing great at that. You're a real example to to the rest of the family, which is great, globally and holistically. And there's contextual freedom in application. What that means is you sing hundreds of Andy Kite songs, which I think are fantastic. I mean, uh, we have it on... That's, it's housework music in our home, right? It's great for hoovering. Some of those, they're superb, superb, just the right speed for a good hoover. Uh, I have told Andy that, so that's fine. So, yeah, but not everybody in our room sings Andy Kite songs. I wish they did. We're working on it. I keep retweeting all the albums when they come out. And uh, we work on it. But the fact is, it's contextual freedom in application. So actually, what you're doing with the creative arts here, in terms of um, <coughs> Andy and Alice and various others that you've got, have got real creativity, we want that to be happening across every church with different sounds and all the rest of it. So those are our values. Right, next slide. Is our vision is to be... Glo- oh, I've done that one. Haven't I? Have I done that one? No, you're just test- testing you. See if you... <laughs> Our vision is to be globally fruitful, crossing all boundaries, to reach the nations, make disciples and plant locally led churches. There you go. That's what we are about. Now, drilling that into detail, here it comes. Here's some numbers. We believe that God has said to us that we can expect to achieve more in 20 years than many have in 50. Now, the reason we've put that up there, whoa, steady there, uh, is, uh, is because uh, uh, Julian Adams, who's a name some of you might know, brought a prophetic word to me back in 2013, and he said to me, I really do believe you guys need to get ready because you're going to see more happen in 20 years than many have in 50. 
And that's not to say that we're better than anyone else. He was just saying there's a lot going to happen in a 20-year period, and you need to galvanize yourselves ready to be, to be ready to, to move, as it were, quickly with what God does. So the next one. So it's a, these, these are imagined goals, right? We've got imagined at the top. So we're not saying um, if we don't achieve all of this, we'll be disappointed. We're just saying imagine these big kind of vision things, these courageous goals that we might go for. Establishing five multiplying churches in each continent of the world by 2030. That's a great opportunity. Some, of, some from here are even going to different continents, aren't they, already? You might, you might do all five on your own. And the rest of us will just applaud you and say, wonderful. But that's something we want to do by 2030. Next one. We want to stimulate a fresh wave of church planting into the UK cities, towns and villages. A hundred more by 2040. A hundred more church plants across the UK by 2040. That's what we're going to go for. Imagine us seeing that happen. And then this is the big one, the next one. Planting 20 churches in each of the other 50 European nations by 2050. That's ridiculous. Now, and I was thinking, we were thinking, do we press the button on this one? Are people going to laugh at us when we say this? And when I went to uh, the Poland conference, it was just at the time when we were thinking, shall we go on this? Because we really felt God had said it to us, or was stirring us with that kind of goal. And we thought, well... How on earth could we do that? And when I walked into this place and realised there was about eight or 900 leaders there from about 40 nations in Europe, I thought, I don't even need to travel anywhere. God's brought it all here. And actually all we need to do, I say all, but all we need to do is to find 50 apostolic ministries or emerging apostolic ministries, in each of the, one in each nation of Europe, train them, they'll plant the churches and God gets the glory. So actually, when you think about it that way, it could be done. Now that's a big, bold, courageous vision. If we only achieved half of that, it's still tremendous. So today I want to invite you to partner with us in that and to kind of Begin to carry these things in your hearts, in your prayers. Begin to ask yourselves, what part might you play in that big vision as a church and as individuals? You're already doing a great uh, contribution into it. And thank you, by the way, for the way you released Steph. Uh, I don't know if you realised you did, but you do release him uh, into serving the wider scene. Uh, And you might think, well, what he did all week. Well, he does lots of things, but they're not all to do with Rev. He does lots of things that serve lots of other people. So thank you for that. So that's the big, the big picture. And one of the ways we started that was with the Courage Conference last year where we were, we were just trying to say we're going to corporately make a big uh, step and say, Lord, will you help us to be courageous? I mean, it's courageous to, to go for this stuff. It's courageous to take steps into the unknown and think, well, will God meet the need? But I don't know about you, but actually I think the Christian life is supposed to be a constant set of steps into the unknown, but that which has God has asked us and beckons us to go into. It's supposed to be an adventure, isn't it? It's supposed to be something we're constantly exploring together. So, so that's the, 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 big, uh, the big picture. Now I want to I drill it down. If we can have the acts of courage... As, um, um, picture back up, and we'll just leave that there just to um, 
use it as a backdrop. What I want to do now is just to sort of look at it a little bit now and ask the question, well, what does an act of courage look like for you, for you and me? We've seen what it might look like for us as churches. Um, but what might it look like for us? What might it look like for someone to say the same about Peter and John when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men? They were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. What would it take for you and I to live in such a way that people would look at us and say that kind of thing about us? What would it take for you or, or myself to do? Well, I think courage is different for every single one of us. And first of all, I have to say, courage doesn't mean that you don't feel any fear or apprehension. Courage just means you do it anyway. That you might be feeling tremendously humanly vulnerable, frail, apprehensive, wrestle with anxiety over something, have to win a few battles in your mind about how you're feeling about things, just your human personality, depending on whether you're more of a risk taker or not, all of those things will affect uh, how we feel. Courage doesn't mean the absence of fear or battles in that area. Courage just means I'm going to do what God has asked me to do, and I'm going to do it in a way that he wants me to do it. So it would be different for each of us. For some of you here, courage might look like praying out loud for the first time, or sharing something on a Sunday morning for the first time, or in your small group. It might, it might simply look like doing something like that that you've never done before. Maybe you're a new Christian, or you're, you've been a Christian a while, and you just find... You know, you're a bit nervous about that sort of thing. Well, courage for you might be that God just prompts you to do something. Or it might be that at work, courage for you might look like you see someone and you, you see them in need and you offer to pray for them. Or you share your testimony at work. I can remember when I worked in the civil service um, years ago, um, I, I used to have a... a, a I'd managed a, a team and the... the, the I had about six people. We all used to sit sort of in a, in a square. I'd sit at the, this table and there'd be three others down there. And somebody uh, just asked this question just at a moment in the office when we were surrounded by it. It's about another 50 people around us. And they asked this question just as all the noise died down in the office. They said, so Mike, what exactly is a Christian? And all the noise had gone out of the room, as did all of the air <laughs> at that moment. And I thought, oh, man. And I knew the noise was going to kick back in very soon. So I thought, I've got two minutes unprepared to share what a Christian is to all these sceptical 50 people looking at me. So I had a go. I don't think I did very well. Uh, and I remember one guy looked at me afterwards and he went, nah. <laughs> so, so I thought, well, okay. I did it. Uh, hopefully I've got a little better over the years since then. Um, but for me, I could have bottled it and not done it at all. And you might do it Monday morning and then all go, nah. <laughs> but you've done it. It's having the courage just to do it. You're not responsible for the outcome. We're responsible for the obedience, aren't we? It's not about, you know, did I do it well enough? God does things in secret even when we feel we've mucked it up. 
You know, it's not about our clever eloquence. Courage for you might look like moving to another nation to plant the church. Courage to you might look like trusting God through an illness or a long-term health issue that doesn't get resolved quickly. Despite all the medical help and all the prayer you have, you might be struggling with something, uh, with with pain or with an illness that, that is an ongoing thing to you. And yet you're just trusting God, you're serving him with all your strength, with all your might, you're loving him with all your heart. I tell you, that's powerful. That's powerful. Courage isn't about always everything turning out the way you think it should do. Courage is sometimes trusting God even when there are complete mysteries you live the rest of your life with. Some of the most powerful, godly people I've met are people who've lived with unanswered questions all through their lives. But they trust in God completely, even in the mystery. If you read Christian biographies, which I would encourage you to do, most men and women who've done anything for God that was of great significance, when you read the personal narrative that often does not get the airtime, what we tend to get are the headlines of what they achieved. When you read the personal narrative, a lot of courage was required personally because people had circumstances very often that they had to really dig into God to get through. You might be like that. Well, don't think that isn't courageous. It is. It is. And it might be very bespoke to you, but it needs courage. Courage might look, working through, look like working through a marriage issue when you really are winding each other up for years. You think we're just, we seem to be like these beautiful cogs in a wheel that have been just set slightly off so that every cog slightly grates with the next one. Even, you know, you see these beautiful watches, you know, intricate watches, all the cogs fit. Well, sometimes marriage feels like all the cogs have been put in the wrong order. They don't quite fit. Courage can be, no, we're going we're gonna to learn. We're going to learn how to love well through this. We're going we're gonna to learn how to be redemptive. We're going to learn how to let the fruit of the Spirit uh, work through our marriage. It can be loads of things. It can be forgiving someone who's wronged you, letting go of the ammunition. You might be right. Someone might have done something to you very unjust, very unkind. And if you write it all down and presented it to a, a, a jury, they'd say, that person is guilty. You are right to feel that, that you need justice. And yet, you know that the gospel says, I've got to just drop the stones that I would throw. That's courage. And I don't say that lightly. Some of you may be listening to me saying this, and I, I don't know what's in the room in terms of history and issues. You might think, well, that sounds very easy for you to say, but you don't know what I've lived with or lived through. No, I don't. And that's why the Holy Spirit alone can give you the courage that you need. I, I'm not saying it as an easy thing. But courage that makes people say, when they saw the courage and realised they were ordinary, unschooled people, they were astonished. Isn't, it ast- isn't forgiveness astonishing? When we forgive people, you think, it just, it just shocks people. Why on earth did you forgive them? Well, because there's a bigger issue of forgiveness that's been at work in me that enables me to do that. Doesn't mean it's easy, though. Courage might just mean getting back up again and keeping going for God after you've had a knockback or several knockbacks. I'm going to read you uh, or tell you a little bit about one story of courage from a guy in my church. Um, 
His name's Jimmy Clark, and um, he, uh, we pre- I, I preached on this at Lowestoft when we uh, launched the Acts of Courage thing. I just preached pretty much the same message, but without this bit, because he hadn't done this bit yet. Um, but I just, uh, I just preached basically on this. And he felt God speak to him uh, about writing a letter to everybody in his street. He, he, he wanted to write a letter to everybody in his road. It's quite a big road. Uh, and so he did. And I'm going to read you the letter that he posted by hand through everybody's door in his street. Hi, my name's Jimmy Clark, and I'm a neighbour. I live at number 36 with my wife Emma and our two sons. A couple of years ago, I was feeling unwell, so my doctor sent me to the James Paget local hospital for some tests. They sent me an appointment, and I went thinking I was going to get some tablets for a stomach ulcer, but I was met by a doctor and three nurses who told me I had cancer. They told me I would have to have powerful chemo, and after chemo, they would remove all of my stomach and some of my esophagus. I was told that life would be very different after surgery, and I would have to get used to a new way of life, which they called my new normal. I was devastated, not only because I'm young, but because I'm a husband and a father to an amazing wife and two amazing kids, who I completely adore. I've also been a self-employed musician ever since I was 17. Back then, I joined the Lee Vasey band back in the 90s, and since then, I've toured the world playing bass for Bjorn Again, Living in a Box, and Il Devo. I've worked with Simon Cowell, and I've spent the last 10 years playing bass for Gloria Gaynor. I didn't know if I'd ever be able to play or tour again. I was gutted. And as I sat reading through the endless Macmillan leaflets the nurses gave me, as you can imagine, I was super scared about my future, my family, and everything that we would have to face. Amazingly, something changed. The worry and fear that seemed so deeply anchored to my soul went away. I was completely filled with peace, but not just peace, also hope. Hope for a very uncertain future, and more importantly, hope for my family. I go to Lowestoft Community Church and I have lots of friends who pray and they prayed for me. And it was after they prayed that I was completely filled with peace. My fear left and I was filled with hope. If I did feel scared, I'd just text someone from the church and as they prayed, the peace and the hope would come back. I know this sounds a bit weird and a bit mad, but it's true. It's now two years on and I'm completely cancer-free. Whoop! Exclamation mark. I've been completely discharged from the NNN. Yes, I lost my stomach and half of my esophagus, like the doctor said, but my new normal is actually better than my old normal. I've been back working full-time for the last 16 months, and last year was financially the best year I'd had in years. I put this down to the prayer I received, and also knowing there's a, a God... Sorry, I just catch a moment. There's a God who could see me, and not just see me, but wanted to help me and not punish me. It was this that got me through. You know, um, I want to... Sorry, my glasses have gone steamy up now. (laughs) (laughs) Sort myself out, windscreen wipers. Here we go. 
Yeah. It was this that got me through. You know if you see a great movie, hear a great band, or hear a funny joke, you want to tell someone about it. I've sent this to everyone on Laurel Road, as I believe if someone does something good for you, you should pay it forward. So I wanted to write to tell you that prayer gave me peace. I just wanted to say, if you're going through something difficult, or know someone who is, I'd love to pray... I am not a weird religious guy. I'm a bass player who grew up and still lives in Kirkley. I won't hassle you or knock on your door, but you can knock on my door or send a note through. You can even send a note anonymously if you want. I'm on Facebook as Jimmy Clark too if you want to message me on there. If you feel this is not for you, please feel free to file this letter in the bin. Many thanks, Jimmy Clark. I mean... There's two things to me that I find astonishing, to use the biblical thing, because he's an ordinary person. I find it incredibly courageous to go through that cancer journey trusting Jesus. That's, that's what the gospel does, doesn't it? And the second thing is then coming out of it to then have the courage to think, I'm going to write to all my road and put it through and offer to pray for people. He's had actually quite a lot of response. People have, you know, uh, have, have really been touched in his road and at least know who he is now. <laughs> and there's some engagement of, uh, of, of stuff for the future. What might your act of courage look like? Some of you are thinking, man, I live on the Holloway Road. It's miles long. It's just, <laughs> just 3,000 letters. I mean, just... It's a mail shot. Well, don't, you don't, it's not compulsory. All right? I'm just giving you an example. But the reason these, this example is important is this. Our small, personal, individual acts of courage, if we create a culture that says, I'm going to do what God tells me, I'm going to use what I've got, to, to speak of him through words, works and wonders. I, I'm going to live a courageous life for Jesus. That collective across all the family of churches feeds into the bigger picture. Because we'll only plant churches and touch nations if collectively there's a culture that bubbles up into something that goes beyond what we could do individually. Do, do you get the connection? So a culture of courage produces courageous family life together. The other person I must mention just in this story is Emma, Jimmy's wife. Because one of the things she did, it's amazing courageous as well, is every tea time or uh, dinner time, they would sit down with their two boys and they would uh, write on uh, a piece of paper for that day things they could give thanks for all the way through that treatment. And they put them in the jar and put the lid back on. And then at the end of the uh, treatment, they took the lid off and reviewed all the things that God was able to help them say thank you for. I tell you, that's a courageous thing. To say, I'm going to give thanks to God even through the midst of this. Now, yours may not be a difficult story in terms of you having to have courage. It may be courage to step forward with the food bank, Adrian, and make it even bigger, take even bigger steps, expand the team, and hit bigger areas. That might be courage for you. It might be some of you are doing other things. Then you think, well, I've got, to, I've got to step up in this. It's going to be costly. So I kind of think... Um, this is more of me sharing my heart today. I'm not, it's not a very carefully constructed preach. Um, do you pick up the heart of it, though? 
You get what we're aiming for. Steph, what time are we supposed to finish? Oh, 12.30. Okay. All right, I think I'll stop talking now. Um, now, there's one practical thing that you could do to help us, and me and Steph are going to just talk us through this about the uh, grassroots giving. Now, on your seat, you'll find a little card. Uh, now, this isn't something for, for everybody. You don't have to do this, but one of the things that really would help us is uh, in terms of the whole thing of, of giving. Now, I want to say at the beginning of talking about this, our tithes, our regular giving, go to must go to the local church, right? So, so if you've got any extra money and you think, well, I was thinking of giving it, giving increasing my giving to the local church, do that, do that, don't do this. But if you've got an ability to give a kind of an offering, I mean, what we ask for with grassroots giving is you can do it online. We'll show you in a minute how to do it. You can do it online. It's just five pounds a month is what we ask from people. It's a bit like a magazine subscription. But there's no magazine, right? So now I realise that's <laughs> I realise that's not the best marketing strategy. But you won't forget I've said that. So perhaps it is. It's a kind of what do you call that? Reverse psychology. That's you see, he's got big words. I don't know the big words, but he's got big words. So for five pounds a month, you get nothing. But you do. Play a part, play a part in helping plant churches and reaching that vision. And we realize, we've got about 5,000 people in relational mission, and we realize that if 1,000 people all signed up for this grassroots thing, then our church planting uh, aspirations, we would meet. We would be able to do that, just for five, five quid a month. So me and Sue do that, we, we, we've signed up. If you gift aid it, obviously it, it's, it's even more than that. And you can stop it whenever you want. It takes a few seconds to, to set up. So, Steph, over to you to sell the dream. <laughs> I think you've done it, mate. Yeah. <laughs> that magazine subscription illustration has rocked my world. Um, <clears throat> what, what, <laughs> it's great. Uh, uh, yeah. what, well, what I thought was, for those of us who want to do this, because I've wanted to do this for about three years. That's but, why we've not got any money. <laughs> that's, right, that's what it is. That's what it is yeah. But, you know, it's one, I, I think... For, for things like this, it's one of those things which is a bit of a moment. So this isn't a moment where we're going to f- pressurise anyone to. But if you're here thinking, yeah, I want to do that, then I'm going to just help us make it practical by saying, let's do it. Okay? So if you want to do this, let's go to the this is a website on the on the little business cards there. There you go. Here we go over here. So I'm going well, to just one press... things. If I put my head there, you can't scan that. But you can... <laughs> I don't know if you go. can do that. Then. So... Let's just go on to the thing there. Let's do this together. Because I, I do think that sometimes with these things, it's just a case of, it's a little bit of admin that gets overlooked when we get home. Does that make sense? Is it just me? Okay, so let's just, I'm, I'm, I'm with you guys just doing this now. And like I said, there's no pressure here. This is for those of us who want to do this, but we know we'll miss the moment. So, okay, I've done that. I also felt the Holy Spirit speak to me quite directly during the praise, um, tied in very much with the sermon, which is the Lord for some of us today, it's, it's the day where we recognize that our approach to life has been somewhat survival, somewhat just keeping, keeping things in place so we don't go under in terms of a mentality. Does that make sense? 
And I felt that in God, there's a moment for some people today where you say it's time to move out of that mentality into a mentality that's more like adding, taking ground. You understand? And for some of you, I just feel it's really going to resonate. And there's, there's a grace on you today to see, for the, to, to recognize, yeah, I've had, that's actually been my mentality. It's just been about not going under. And sometimes just when you, when you hit a season of big pressure, or maybe you're new to London and you're overwhelmed by loads of things, or, or just a lot of things have gone wrong and you've just had to shore things up, that's totally legitimate. But you don't want to stay there. It's not the mentality you want to live out of throughout all of your days. There comes a, that point where you go, we want to take ground. We want to move on. Does that make sense? And so if that, you just know that that's the Holy Spirit. You know, you'll, you'll know because your heart will be racing or you'll just, the clarity, you're like, yeah, please, as we're taking bread and wine, as we're worshiping, praising the Lord, please let someone know that God has said that to you today because they can encourage you, they can pray with you, and they can come, walk alongside you as you sort of, uh, as you work with God in terms of, Helping uh, him, helping you change that mentality. It's ever so important. We don't we don't want to stay um, thinking that way. So, if Joe and the band uh, could come back, and uh, why don't we stand to our feet and.